Hey, running nerds, it's Kyle Merber. And if you're listening to this podcast, then there's a high likelihood that you love track and field. In that case, I encourage you to subscribe to the Lap Count newsletter. It's my newsletter, helping fans stay up to date with all the thrilling action and biggest stories in the world of track and field, delivered right to your inbox every Wednesday morning. It's free. It takes less than a minute to sign up at thelapcount.com, and I think you'll enjoy it. Here's this week's newsletter read by Chris Chavez. Before we get into it, this week's newsletter is sponsored by Olipop. New year, new you. At least that's the promise you made to yourself before waking up with a hangover on Monday, right? Well, now that a couple days have passed and your commitment to dry January is already on the ropes, it's time to invest in some Olipop. It's the prebiotic soda with fiber and as little as 2 grams of sugar in each can. A sip will have you feeling nostalgic for the days when your parents ordered you Shirley Temples as a special treat when you went out to eat. Wake up from tomorrow's run with an extra pep in your step and some improved gut health thanks to Olipop. Use code Sidious25 for 25% off non-subscription orders at drinkolipop.com. Lap 148, Solving Track Again. Beatrice Chibet's year goes out with a bang. Dels 14 minuts, marca estratosfèrica la que acaba d'aconseguir Beatrice Chebet. Atenció a la marca que acaba d'aconseguir Beatrice Chebet. És que acaba de baixar fins i tot el rècord del món de la For many of us, the end of December is a lame duck period where there is no point in really trying too hard at anything. Quotas have already been hit, Christmas bonuses are set, and if you piss off some loved ones over the holidays, then just apologize with some admittance of seasonal stress and then add stop being an asshole to your New Year's resolution list. But not if you're Beatrice Chibet. In Barcelona, on the last day of the year at the Corsa del Nassos, Chibet broke the 5K record running 14-13, a time worth celebrating doubtedly because it removes the confusion about having to distinguish between two records, the women's only and the mixed record. Beatrice Chibet adds a world record to her world cross country and world road running titles from 2023 and a bronze medal in the 5K on the track at the World Championships in Budapest. She was so consistently good across every month of the year, it makes you wonder whether she finds time to meaningfully train. Is it too late to add one more athlete to the Athlete of the Year award? Courtney Frerichs leaves the Bowerman Track Club. As you look to Paris 2024, how hard is it to make those decisions while still being present within this season? It's really challenging because, you know, like I look at it and I'm like, I'm, I'm in my prime. Like, I don't want to potentially give up, you know, Diamond Leagues or, you know, be at these championships, you know, not as ready as I'm used to being. But, you know, I want to take a step back and say, okay, what are my, what are my biggest goals and how do we prioritize that? And that's definitely getting back to the Olympic Games um, to try and get back on the podium. You know, I came really close to gold two years ago and so that's still in the back of my head and you know I have a sub nine to my name so I know I can keep contending for that. January 1st is the track and field equivalent of the MLB trade deadline. The major difference is that rather than general managers dealing players mid-game to crosstown rivals, we're dealing with the poorly kept secrets that cannot be openly discussed due to contract clauses. Those are finally being made public and announced. The biggest news this year was that American record holder in the steeplechase, Courtney Frerichs, shared that following seven years with the Bowerman Track Club, she has left the group. Of course, this is another major loss to a program that has dominated the U.S. championships for a couple of Olympic cycles. And while this presents a great opportunity to try and dunk on the group in Instagram comments, it's an expected part of the evolution that the team is going through. I'd imagine that in a year, even more veterans from the old guard will be gone, and the entirety of the Eugene-based group 
will be new recruits who chose Eugene explicitly rather than having Eugene foisted upon them. Frerichs earned silver medals at the 2017 World Championships and the Tokyo Olympics in the steeplechase and still holds the American record in the event with an 8.57 from 2021. This past year was not her best. She struggled with injuries and bad luck, but Frerichs only turns 31 later this month and has plenty of running left in her. An interesting aspect of her changeup is that she'll now be coached by Alistair and Amy Craig of Puma Elite, despite maintaining a contract with Nike. There's, of course, a connection here through her representation with Kimbia, which is the agency that represents her, but it seems as of now, no one wins in terms of brand alignment, only in track and field, baby. Copying Tennis's Homework With the turning of the calendar comes the opportunity to reinvent ourselves, to become the people that we hope to be, or at least we talk about doing that. Either way, in that spirit, what if we took this article that was published in The Athletic called Professional Tennis is Broken, Here's How to Fix It, hit Control F, and every time that tennis is mentioned, we replace it with track and field. Mission accomplished. We did it. The solution for both sports seems so obvious to fans. The issues The solution for both sports seems so obvious to fans. The issue remains that there are too many stakeholders with slightly different goals. Tennis and track are both similar in that they are mass participation sports, and that complicates what it means to grow the sport. Would you rather the number of people signing up to run a marathon in the world double, or is your preference that TV viewership and the salaries of professionals multiply instead? It depends who you are. Road race directors and shoe companies would rather the first, but newsletter writers, athletes, and most fans would probably prefer the latter. The proposal for tennis is not significantly different from what has already been discussed or written about and has become an annual cycle here in the lap count. The schedule should be focused on the majors and the largest competitions on the calendar with the notion that the top athletes would be predictably present at each of them. In many ways, track and field is closer to this vision than tennis. We have the Diamond League, a moderately cohesive collection of meetings on the calendar that sort of provide a semblance of a season for fans to follow. Although they are each managed by independent organizations, the collective bargaining works in favor of negotiating sponsorships, TV deals, and what events are happening when. The underlying problem is that of fairness and development. In tennis, the proposal is that the top 100 players are on the tour each season. That's the major league. To break in that stratosphere, less established athletes would have to thrive and separate themselves from the pack in the minors. So let's apply that to track as a thought experiment. Each year, the least successful athletes from the preceding season's Diamond Leagues are relegated and the most successful outsiders are promoted. This works great in theory until a kid that no one had ever heard of starts soloing 1,500-meter races in 328 at meets versus nobodies. Unlike tennis, track has a barometer by which to measure performance beyond head-to-head matchups. And no matter how much we try to make head-to-head competition the focus, time will always be a factor. From a storytelling and marketing perspective, a consistent roster of athletes facing off each week would be the most ideal scenario. If they were also consistently the top performers. This is easy to control in the likes of Formula One because no one outside of those 20 drivers are sitting in those cars and racing on those tracks. Since it is unrealistic for the top circuit of track and field to become exclusive, there needs to be more incentives in place so that the best athletes in the world would need to keep racing at the best meets in the world. The answer, don't let any of the top athletes get comfortable. 
The first step is to remove the standard. Take a page out of tennis's book that requires even the best players to continue playing throughout the season. You can't rest on your laurels. The standard is the ultimate crutch because once an athlete achieves it, then all they have to do is show up to the championships. The next step is to shorten the window. An athlete can run 333.50 on July 1st, 2023 and be qualified to compete on August 2nd, 2024 for the first round of the 1500 in the Olympics. Those might be two different athletes. A lot can happen in 13 months. January 1st of the same year seems like a more honest starting point. Although I'd really say that the season should start at the first Diamond League meet on April 20th in China. Do you know who would be at opening day if it actually mattered? Everyone. The challenge is determining the fairest way to determine how to fill the fields in the Diamond League since they will become even more competitive to get into. In addition to tweaking the ranking algorithm, getting rid of the home field advantage and my agent is in charge of this meet clauses are the two most obvious ones. Perhaps having a play-in race at a minor race a week before creates more opportunity and intrigue. It is important to develop the talent of tomorrow, but for the sport to succeed, then there needs to be stars. And like the stars in the night sky, you always know where your favorites will be, even if that's occasionally slightly less fair to the up-and-comers or those who haven't run fast in over a year. Graham Blank signs with New Balance. Oh, nice. Wow. There isn't technically any prize money at the NCAA championships, but at this point, there might as well be. When Grant Blanks crossed the finish line in Charlottesville six weeks ago, his name, likeness, and image began writing checks that his less conceptual sense of self could eventually cash. As of last week, that wait was over when it was announced that New Balance signed Grant Blanks to an NIL deal. From a shoe company's perspective, here is a super talented dude with seemingly unlimited potential coming into his own in an Olympic year as evidenced by his most recent 1305 indoor collegiate record. It probably doesn't hurt that he's got a big crimson H on his chest from a recognition standpoint. Harvard isn't Coca-Cola or McDonald's, but there aren't many institutions more globally recognized out there. And on top of an undefeated season, the reception to Blanks as a person through his subsequent media tour has been well-received by the masses. Given New Balance's Boston roots, the brand partnering with a student who goes to school just outside of Boston makes sense. But beyond that, it could be more indicative of a strategic shift for the brand, American Distance Men. Look, I've said it on the record that if I could be coached by anyone today, it'd be Mark Coogan. At this point in the NIL game, it's still too early to tell how tight the pipeline is from college contract to the real thing. While Caitlin Tui stuck with Adidas through the process, there is no legal obligation to do so. Time will tell if the companies that are demonstrating the most interest in talented 20-year-olds will remain committed to that developing talent when it's, well, been developed. Running fast will help. Here are Kyle's personal reflections on 2023. At first, I was a bit disappointed when my Strava urine review indicated that I'd average a few meters short of five miles each day. And then it didn't feel like I had missed 38 days on the calendar, but my training log has a better memory than me, I guess. In terms of form, looking in the mirror, I don't completely hate what I see. God bless decent genetics. But when it comes down to function, any slight pace infusion after a few down weeks and my heart rate tells a different story. Each of our relationships with running will continue to evolve throughout our lives, and highs and lows come with the territory of this dumb, wonderful hobby passion, but I was struck with by how much work it took this year to maintain a happy balance in my now decades-old running relationship. There were predictable consequences to having a toddler, such as 5 a.m. wake-up calls. My long commute into the city a few days a week certainly cuts into my mileage, 
And isn't it ironic that covering the sport more directly results in having less time to participate in it yourself? This next year won't necessarily be easier, but I feel better equipped to handle the dissonance between real life and the fantasy training camp that compromised my 20s. While I used to abide by mildly insulting made-up maxims such as anything less than 30 minutes doesn't count as a run or only joggers listen to music, I have grown wiser and less judgmental in my old age. And I've learned a thing or two about running and motivation when you're not a competitive runner anymore, but also enjoying being at least marginally fit. My problem, and that's not to say you've got a problem, but this is quite possibly your problem too, is that while I'm by no means slow, I used to be fast. And with each passing year, it becomes more difficult to hold on to that version of myself. It is especially difficult when so much of my identity is wrapped up in the fact that I was fast. I'm just way less motivated by trying to dampen the atrophy of fitness than I was training to unlock new achievements. To avoid regressing to the point where I'm forced to start from scratch, should I decide I need to race another marathon in the future for blogging purposes or self-fulfillment, I've developed a few strategies that I'm happy to share. We'll name it Kyle's Tips for Holding On to Little Fitness from Five Years Ago. Tip number one, no run is too short. I call them pajama runs because they don't require putting on your clothes. If I only have 20 minutes, then why waste five of them squeezing into tights? Just put on your shoes and run around the block a couple times. Tip number two, take advantage of company. A solo run of four to six miles generally scratches the itch for me. But when I have friends to run with or the time to do more, then these are my days to steal as much fitness as possible. Tip number three. Lean into the weather. Running in the cold, snow, and dark sucks. I hibernate for the winter, and my expectations are the bare minimum. Get it? I'll know I'll add on miles when the sun comes back out. Tip number four. Get to the track. I may leave the house with no plans, but if I run to the track, then I can normally guilt myself into doing some sort of workout. It might be a singular sub-five mile. Way to brag there, Kyle. Or it might be... 6 by 400 at my 2015 10K pace. Tip number five, pick a race. It might just be a company fun run, though having something on the calendar once a year will extend your shelf life. Adjust your expectations and swallow that ego. The rapid improvement curve the first few weeks of training is a great reminder of how much fun the sports side of running is. Tip number six, get your ass kicked. Getting dropped on someone else's easy run will restart the engine. You can also kick your own ass. That sub-five mile I mentioned above, when you feel the ghost of your prepubescent 14-year-old self outkicking you down the home stretch, you might find yourself driven to put him back in his place. And the bonus, tip number seven, don't take two days off. When you're dreading the act, don't force it. But once you start taking multiple rest days in a row, then it might just be out of laziness. This is at least how I've been approaching things, and if you're currently in your prime reading this pathetic list of excuses and don't think your time will come, just wait. You'll be doing cul-de-sac loops wearing sweatpants with a phone in your hand listening to financial news podcasts before you know it. Here's what else you need to know from this past week. Sad news out of Kenya as Ugandan steeplechaser Benjamin Kiplagat, who was 34 years old, was murdered in a robbery. He competed in three Olympic Games and held the national record in his primary event of 8.03, which he set in 2010. My favorite pro runner YouTube channel posted its first video in seven months. 
Look, I know it's Jake Whiteman's first workout on the track since returning from injury, but that doesn't mean I don't laugh at the idea of Jakob Ingebrigtsen watching him run 4 by 1200 at Jakob's half marathon pace. The high school freshman 400 meter phenom Quincy Wilson is no longer a freshman and accordingly broke the sophomore class record for 600 meters in 1 minute and 17 seconds. He was just barely beaten by Jaden Marchand, who ran 117 as well to set a New Jersey state record. The San Silvestre Vallecana may be the home race for Mocatier, but Barihu Aragawi played spoiler, winning the major Madrid 10K in 27-15. The race looks like a lot of fun. I've linked out to the YouTube video of it. There was pure chaos at the finish for Abebel Yashane, who won in a sprint finish in 30-30 for the women's race. Mark Scott and Jess Warner-Judd took the top honors at the Ribble Valley 10K in the UK. According to Strava, Connor Mance visited CJ Albertson to get some help running a half marathon workout. He clocked it at 61.55. One month to go until the US Olympic trials. It's gonna be exciting. The two fastest middle distance runners in Australian history were beaten by a 14 year old at the Taz Carnivals in Devonport. That's because Jess Hall and Lyndon Hall were heavily handicapped in this fun and bizarre grass track mile. The epic 100th Hakone Ekiden saw defending champions Aoma Gakuman University set a new course record of 10 hours, 41 minutes, and 24 seconds, breaking their time from last year by more than two minutes. Thanks so much to Olipop for sponsoring this week's newsletter. The overwhelming reception and support last year from Sidious Max followers means the partnership has continued into 2024. The runner soda lives on. You can get yourself some at drinkolipop.com using code Sidious25 today. This has been Chris Chavez reading Kyle Merber's The Lap Count newsletter. Sign up to get it in your inbox every Wednesday morning at 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time for free at thelapcount.com. We'll see you next week.